Welcome to the Vancouver True Crime Podcast. This is episode 5, Vancouver, the Beautiful and Ugly. So this series has definitely been my most popular series that I've done. And I appreciate that because these are my personal stories. They uh, take me back to a, a time and a place where I really enjoyed the city of Vancouver. I really enjoyed what it had to offer, corks and all. It was a beautiful place, a magical place to live. I have fond memories of Vancouver of that time. So in this stage of my life, I'm going to start about the 2000s, where I left off with my toxic girlfriend, Elizabeth. In the last podcast, you might have heard me call her Susan a couple of times. Susan was her stage name, and we had this kind of inside joke where I called her Susan. Like, when she would go off to work, I'd say, bye, Susan. When she'd come home with her bag and all her stripping gear, I was like, how was your day, Susan? And it kind of stuck sometimes. I would call her Susan. Susan was her stage name. So I just want to clear that up. I was listening to it, and I sometimes... I record these quite late at night. Like right now it is 12.04 a.m. So there's a lot that happened in my life between Susan and the 2000s. Obviously that relationship didn't work out. How could it? (laughs) And... I decided to take a job where I had to travel. It was a job that I'm glad I did take. I got to travel all through the province of BC, all through Vancouver Island, got to see all the interior province. Then I was in Alberta, Ontario, Quebec, Nova Scotia, and I enjoyed getting to see the rest of the Canada big country gave me perspective I'm going to unpack that trip it was about a year and a half long it's a lot to unpack a lot of stuff a lot of things that went on and then around I think about 2000 ish Kevin was in and out of jail quite a bit. And from what I remember, he did two armed robberies and he was serving a five-year sentence for that. He didn't really resurface until about 2006 and then he died approximately about two years after that from a drug overdose the drugs finally got him so that's basically what happened to Kevin 
Kevin's life spiral. People ask me a lot. I get a lot of DMs about Kevin. And one day, as a listener requested, I will do an episode just on Kevin because there is so much material, so much material. Without further ado, let's get into this episode. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to my crazy podcast. Thank you again. 2000. I needed a change. I was traveling for approximately but almost two years straight. I was exhausted mentally. I traveled from Victoria, BC, right across Canada to Halifax, Nova Scotia. I was burnt out from being in a different hotel room almost every night of the week in a different bed in a different town or a city. And I was glad to be home, happy to be back in Vancouver. But at this stage of my life, I fundamentally needed a change in my life. I'm in my late 20s now getting close to 30 years old and the roaring 20s of partying and nightclubs and all that I wanted to put behind me. The internet was becoming a thing. I used the internet pretty successfully already in around 98 for promos and marketing and things like that so I was quite well aware of it and saw the power of it immediately. And I had a lot of interest in that. I I decided that I was going to take graphic design, Photoshop, Illustrator. At the time, there was a program called Flash that was really popular, an animation program. I took that. And, you know, different programming languages, like HTML, JavaScript at the time, and, you know, basic, you know, computer languages to make websites. So I took my classes at nighttime so I could sleep in and I could stay up late working on my projects and my assignments and stuff. I've always been kind of a late night person, even now, making podcasts, you know, 12 midnight till 5 a.m. At nighttime, I feel the most creative. I feel relaxed. The house is quiet. In my case, the kids are in bed. So I I like doing projects at night. I'm, I'm a night person, as you probably can tell. And during the day, you know, I'd go work out, I would do my, you know, chores, things like that. But, you know, I started doing online dating. Now, online dating was very different, obviously, from meeting people in nightclubs. And nightclubs, at least most of the times, is what you see is what you get. And plus, you have alcohol that makes you feel fearless. And, and you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's the opposite of meeting people in nightclubs online is almost like uh you don't really know what you're getting it's it's uh it's a bit of a you know and sometimes it can be a downright you know dangerous especially for women and even myself i've been in some pretty hairy situations from a person i met online which i'm going to get into in this episode so i've been on some pretty horrible dates from on, what I from people I met online one of the worst dates I've ever been on 
was. There was a few of them, but one of the worst. She, it was hard to tell what she looked like in her picture. It was really fuzzy. And remember, this is early, you know, 2000s. There's no plenty of fish. There's no profile. Generally, you were meeting people on message boards and MSN little chat rooms. So this woman, she told me that she was an, uh, worked in an architectural firm. Sounds like a pretty impressive job. Downtown, you know, worked at this fancy architectural firm. And as a hobby, she was into rock climbing. Now, I've never done any significant kind of rock climbing, needing equipment, that kind of stuff. I've done hiking and things like that, and maybe scaled where I had to use my hands a little bit. But when I think rock climber, professional rock climbers, that's what she said, you know, do these competitions, and she would go on and on about it. We'd chat about it online. So I would believe that someone who did rock climbing at a professional level would be in an amazing physical shape. Just, just you know, it, it would take a lot of strength from the things that she was saying. And then, you know, we talked on the phone and I couldn't really get a read on her. I'm pretty good at reading people, but I couldn't really get a read. Like she was kind of like distracted all the time. And I thought, well, maybe she's busy. And and also you got to remember this whole online dating thing is pretty new for me too. And, you know, she didn't have a bad phone voice, but it's kind of funny now thinking about it. My mom had an amazing phone voice. She'd be snarling and yelling at me, and then the phone would ring and be like, oh, hello. So this woman had a, you know, nice sounding voice. And I, I think we talked for about a good two weeks, either online or at phone, on the phone. So finally, we were gonna go on a date. And she said, well, you know, maybe we can, you know, just you come by my place, chill for a bit, and then we'll go for dinner. There's go to a pub or something like that, right? Something, okay, cool. You know, it was a nice day. We could probably go to a pub with a nice patio. So I asked her, well, where do you live? Because remember, architectural firm downtown Vancouver, world-class rock climber. Well, this was the first red flag. She lived in Wally, Wally in Surrey. Now, not really trying to be too hard on Wally, but Wally's a pretty rough area. Not as rough as Hastings Street, but it's, you know, it's, it's up there. High crime, high poverty, a lot of street drug activity, street prostitution, especially back then. So I was like, oh, Wally, wow, okay, cool. But hey, you know what? We were talking for two weeks and, you know, seemed pretty decent, had a good job. You know, I'm thinking, wow, she must be in great shape if she's, you know, such a good rock climber. So I get to the apartment 
It's on Wally Ring Road. It's like a three-story walk-up apartment. I don't, I don't remember if it had an elevator. It might have. Really old building. You go, you open it up. It, the whole building smells like wet dog smell, mildewy, old seventy paisley psychedelic looking carpet. That's you know, dark colors, wood, browns, oranges. So the apartment, you know, I, I was starting to feel a little sketched out. She's on the third floor. Get to her apartment. And, you know, building's pretty pretty shady. Opens the door, and I'm thinking, oh, this must be her mother. The woman is 50 years old. She's approximately 5 feet tall. She's wearing spandex bicycle shorts, and she weighs about 300 pounds. And her hair and her facial features, she actually looks like one of those troll dolls. And she seems so happy to see me. And I'm just like, like, oh, and I don't know what to do. I'm in shock. Like, I'm in shock. So I go in hesitantly. I'm sitting on the couch. And, and, and she's just going on and on. I'm like, oh, you're into rock climbing. And she's just with a straight face. Oh, yeah, yeah. I go, well, do you have any pictures? Oh, they're, they're, they're at my ex-boyfriend's house. We, we had a breakup and all my rock climbing stuff. And I'm like, oh, okay. And a roommate then knocks on the door. He comes in. He looks like a full-out crackhead. Like, just, right? And they go off in the bedroom by themselves. And they're having this intense whispering, kind of this whispering argument. And I'm just thinking, like, okay, how the hell do I get out of this situation? How do I get out of it, you know? And then she comes back and says, oh, I know this is really awkward to ask, but I got laid off my architectural firm job. I'm like, oh, yeah, but, you know, yeah, that bullshit job you told me about for the last two weeks. And I was wondering if you have, like, a hundred bucks. I'm just a little short for rent. And I'm just like, wow, I haven't even been then inside for like three minutes. And she's hitting me up for a hundred bucks. And I'm probably going to go right to crack or drugs or whatever. So I, I just said, you know what? I just, I hate to say this, but I don't think this is going to work out. You know, it's like, you're, and she's like, oh, why, why? I go, well, you're kind of hitting me up for money. And we just met. And then the boyfriend or roommate whatever whoever he was comes out and he's all like giving me dirty looks like well, well how about how about 40 then so you remember i'm in the weird apartment and i just said you know what whatever here i got 20 here's 20 bucks and the guy that literally snatches that out of my hand and he's out the door and i'm just like okay you know what like i gotta go I i'm sorry and then i just got the hell out of there so that was one of my first weird experiences, and it gets worse than this, trust me. The next lady I met, she was an older woman, which if you listen to my last podcast, you can you know I have some experience with older women. She was in her 40s. And she lived on Beach Avenue. And we actually met a couple of times. And she was really nice. Kind of a classy lady. And we I met her on English Bay. She had a, she had a, a 
apartment, but it was a big apartment. It's like these five, it's like a five story building. And each floor is a whole flat, a whole apartment on each floor. And she was on the third floor, like really expensive. Her husband was in the oil industry and he died in some kind of industrial accident. And she got this massive insurance uh, payout. And she was into working out, sound familiar? She was into working out. And we actually got along. We went out for lunch a couple of times. We went out for, I think went out for sushi. And I would meet her at English Bay quite a few times. And, but this something was a little bit off. So one day we decide we're gonna go for drinks. And it was pretty, nothing has, didn't, nothing happened to this point yet. And we, we started drinking at a pub. And then we went to, um, the Sutton place, which is on Burrard. It's a nice hotel, but it has a nice, really nice lounge in there. I used to like going there back in the day. So we're at the Sutton place and she's just like, okay, you're coming back to my place now. So we take a cab, go back to her place and you know, it's on. Like she just gets, as soon as we walk in the door, she's right naked and really aggressive like, and she's in good shape like she has a this woman actually has a six-pack because that's all she does all day is work out and run and pilates and yoga and stuff so she's actually you know in incredible shape and you know i feel like i am not having sex i'm having roman greco wrestling with this woman it's almost kind of exhausting actually because she's just so like aggressive and you know, it's like, it, it, that's what it felt like. It felt like more like actual wrestling. And then I, I need a break. I, I go, I gotta go to the bathroom. I go into her bathroom and in her sink, there are about five or six massive dildos in the sink, like massive ones being washed. And I'm just like, oh my God, like those are humongous. And I go back in the bedroom and I said, whoa, those are huge dildos in there. And she just laughs like this, this cackle, lets out this cackle. It goes, don't worry. They don't take out the garbage. You know, it's made some kind of joke like that, right? So I was, you know, and then after the night, you know, I spent the night. And then in the morning, she said to me, she goes, I'm going on this cruise with my friend. We're going to go on this European cruise. And then when I come back, I'd like to date you and I'll break up. This is her exact words were, I will break up with the other 30, three zero, the other 30 guys that I'm seeing because I like you. And I'm like, well, have a great European trip. I'll see you when I get back, which I didn't see. And just, you know, if you go back to the last podcast, a bunch of dudes in the background, you know, I've already been there, done that. And then I had a, a, a whole batch of these. And I don't, I don't mean to sound like super harsh, but these people are pure scumbags. So there are people, you know, maybe due to mental illness or whatever, that are delusional, right? And, you know, just like the woman who said that she was a professional rock climber, but she's 300 pounds and looking at her 
her physical ability there's just no way that this 305 foot person would be able to hang from a little tiny rope and scale up a hundred foot cliff it's just impossible right that's delusional and i don't even really have anger towards delusional i don't it's just you know you almost feel sorry for them you know maybe this woman you know the rock climber you know the crack crack rock climb i don't know is trying to make a parallel with rock you know crack cocaine they call it rock and she's a rock climber who knows i don't know some weird i don't know anyways it's that's in that case i don't really have any anger i feel a little annoyed that my time got wasted you know this person you're spending time on the phone and back and forth messages and you know it's, it kind of eats up a lot of time that's one thing i detested about online dating the endless emailing and emailing or messages right can waste a lot of time and then you and then when you meet the person there's either zero chemistry or they're not what they say they are or they're delusional well this class of people i'm not going to say they're delusional because there's something a little bit different going on they're people that I've actually have given up on actually meeting someone. They're not using the dating apparatus, online apparatus to meet someone. But what they're doing is, is they're using it to their advantage. So there's women that have, and I've ran across this, that you know, you get a little bit into the conversation and you find out they're a working girl and they'll be up front. Hey, you know what? If you come over and you have 200 bucks or whatever, we can do this, this or that. And never really was into that, you know, but at least these women would tell you, right? So you know what you're getting, right? They're being honest. So I don't fault them for that. It would be brutal if they met a guy did a bunch of stuff and then oh here's a bill big boy you know then then that's not cool right but what these women do in my experience I, I i coined the term professional dater so they're not working girls they use the trappings of dating and you know they're good at emailing it's probably a, you know the messages is probably a, most of it's copy and paste you know, the stock answers that people ask when you're dating, you know, when you're, hey, what do you do? Where are you from? You know, where, where did you grow up? What are your hobbies and interests? What's your favorite movie or your food and blah, 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 right? So you go all through that with these people. They always send you a picture that's about 20 to 15 to 10 years old if you're lucky. You're lucky if you get a 10-year-old picture. But... What they do is they, they manipulate it so you're meeting them for the first time at a movie theater or at a nice restaurant or wherever they want. And when you get there, you're first, you're like, okay, you don't look anything like your picture. And it's apparent they have zero interest in you. They just don't barely talk to you. They'll talk about the menu. Oh, I think I'm going to get the halibut. And the garlic mashed potatoes. And I'm going to get a piece of cheesecake. And anything you say, it's just like, yeah, mm-hmm, uh-huh, oh, that, oh, that's nice. 
like you, you, you there's no way in hell that you would go on a second date because it's just apparent that they're actually just using you to go out for dinner or just you know there's a difference between you go on a date and there's no chemistry but the but the intent was from both parties was to see if you like each other and just because you go on a date I don't expect the person to like me but there's a sincerity and with this there's no sincerity you know I, I for movies and restaurants and and some of them are better at it than others like some are just blatant you know some are just blatant other ones are like you know they put out a little bit of effort but not a lot and then you know because as soon as the date's over they're just like okay well it was nice meeting you and you know it's just it's like they said it, it's it really it really walks on a fine line and it's brutal and i got really good at screening those out you know so there's those and then i to make this podcast i was thinking what is the worst date that i ever ever been on and i've been on some pretty bad ones hopefully there's not some woman out there saying oh i went on this date with this mark guy and oh it was horrible so hopefully you know that's not the case for somebody so again it was not sure if she was a pro dater or not but she kind of fit that category we talked on the phone for quite a bit i asked her lots of questions she's she seemed you know she seemed kind of interested in me and blah 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 and you know all the stuff i was into and we went on this date we went to earl's on broadway broadway in granville area that one and we get there i get there and sure she shows up and she looks 30 years older than than uh, what her picture looked like and i said to her she said she recognized me right away because i gave her a picture and she sits down and i said to her I go oh, wow like how old was that picture she goes oh this woman looked like in her mid 40s she sent me a picture from when she was 15 years old. And I would first instinct, I wanted us to jump up and leave, but it's like crowded and I already had, I would, you know, she was actually late. I already had a few drinks in me. So I was thinking, you know what? For comedy's sake, let's just see where this goes. So she sits down, she goes, oh, what are you drinking? Oh, I'm having a martini. Oh, great, I'll have one of those. She puts her hand up, waiter comes by, I'm drinking a Crantini. She goes, oh, I'll have one of those. Waiter would drop the Crantini right in front of her, and I'm not kidding, she would pick it right up and just shoot it back, like a, a, a three ounce martini, vodka Crantini. She would shoot it back like a shooter and order another one. She did that four times in a row, and I'm just like, whoa. So we finally get her table. We order a bottle of wine. Now she is doing shots of wine. She will fill up her glass and gulp, gulp. And I'm just watching and marvel like you're going to get pissed drunk. And in between her shots of alcohol, she had these really intense aqua green eyes. And I remember why I liked her picture because she, in her picture she sent me and remember she was 15 
18 years old, right? But she, it was a close-up of her face, and she had really these intense, really greeny, intense green eyes. Well, she still had the green eyes, but... And I, and I said to her, I said, you know, you know, back to the photo and stuff. I said, well, you're 15? Like, don't you have a more recent picture? She goes, well, yeah, but since the, this is what she said, since she took that picture when she's 15, she's gained 100 pounds. I'm like, oh, okay. So why don't you use a picture of what you look like, right? So this went over her head. So I'm actually putting her not a pro dater, but delusional. So she's this pounding the alcohol back and the whole conversation from the time she sat down to th all through her our dinner she's talking about how her mother got a flesh-eating disease some disease a MRSA and she's going on and on about how unclean hospitals are and she's just like she's like an expert in this flesh-eating disease she knows every you know angle and you know every everything there is to know about flesh eating and trust me when you're on a, you're on a date i don't really want to be thinking about flesh eating disease and she's just going on and on about it and i'm kind of amused the date is so horrible and i just sort of like you just have your hands up in the air and i said hey do you want to do some tequila shots <laughs> you know so we ordered some tequila and she's just going on and on about flesh eating disease so I pay the bill and it's almost like all the whole bill is almost booze. I think we ended up ordering like I think I ordered an appetizer because I didn't really have an appetite from getting bombarded from flesh eating disease all through the date. And also too, she was a tall woman. She was big. Like she was like I'm six feet tall. I actually think in her heels she was probably six one or six two. Like she was a big woman, like tall and big shoulders and you know hefty woman and i remember when i stood up and she stood up at the same time she was wearing the most putrid like god-awful formaldehyde perfume that just as drunk as i got now because remember i had crantinis i had wine and i had tequila shots and i think i had a couple of beers in there Oh my god, I felt like I could throw up. Just like the combination of her of her vicious nasal assaulting perfume and the mixture of alcohol. So I, I I'm just like, whoa, like I actually met, I felt like a wave of nausea. And then she's like really into my like she's one of those talkers that likes to get really close. And then she's like, Hey, I want to ask you something. And I'm like, uh, sure, sure. She goes, you want to play some pool? And there was this pool hall right across the street on Broadway. This is, you know, if you're not from Vancouver, but yeah, Broadway is a big, busy street. There was a pool hall right across from the Earl's on Broadway. And she goes, Oh, let's go play some pool. I'm thinking, Hey, how, what could go wrong playing some pool? Sure. Let's go play some pool. Well, I remember all that alcohol, all that booze that she had, and we're you know we're going the pool hall, and she's being like super loud and really aggressive, and she's just like cranking the balls, and the balls are like going off the floor, like boom, like you know, like she'd hit the balls so hard that they just go flying off the table, and the people are getting really pissed off. 
and she gets in an argument with one of the other pool players at the table and she sticks the pool cue between her legs and she's wearing a pantsuit that's right she was wearing this a pantsuit and she's a big woman and she has this pool stick between her legs and she's like shaking it like you know it's like in a male appendage and she says to the guy why don't you suck my dick right and i'm just like okay okay we gotta go we're gonna get kicked out of here right so I, we we leave, right? And she's all going on about that effing bastard. I should, I should wait out here in cold car. Like she she literally wanted to fight the guy, and I, you know she probably would have won. So I get her a cab, and I thank her for such a lovely evening and educating me on flesh eating disease. So that was possibly the worst date I've been on. Been a lot of ones that are close to that, but that one stands out to me as the worst date I've ever been on the people that I seem to be the most like disturbed by you know again I honestly don't care what people do in their bedrooms as long as it's involved kids or and it's consensual but I have some weird thing against swingers not because i don't care that they're swinging it's just been my experience with them i've had so many odd gross encounters with with swingers and i remember i was with some friends we went to kobe's steakhouse a japanese steakhouse on alberni street so this one wasn't i didn't meet this these swingers online it was at the kobe steakhouse so I'm sure if it's still open, you know, pandemic-wise or whatever, that you know, first of all, the place says needs needed needs to be renovated. It hasn't been renovated since the 70s. I'm just gonna throw that out there. Anyways, so the way what how it happens is this: you you go there, you're all stuffed into a waiting room that's kind of overcrowded, and then they call you to a table, and everyone sits at a table, and you have. A Japanese chef that does all the tricks and volcano onions and you know drinks the sake and it's all entertaining and you know it's kind of fun the first few times but anyways so Matt Kobe Steakhouse so we're stuffed in this waiting area and there's like this woman who's just staring like just really intense and it's a little uncomfortable because one i don't find her attractive you know she's like 50 years old she has like the feather she almost like has like the hockey hair you know the hockey hair is when you have almost like a mullet well i don't know if all hockey players still have this but the stereotype hockey hair is kind of like the mullet with the feather in the front and feathered hair in the front and then kind of the mullet so she has kind of like a mullet and the guy looks like this, I don't know, just weird. He's really tall, skinny, big mustache. And he just keeps looking at me, smirking, this weird smirk, right? And I'm just ignoring them. Once in a while, this kind of awkward smile. And, and, uh, and sure enough, they're at our fucking table. <laughs> and his wifey is right beside me. And she's like, every chance she gets, like she moves her arm and I get a little touchy and this and that. And her legs are thighs. Because, you know, the table, you're kind of crowded in there, right? There's a big table. Everyone, they try to push a lot of people in there. 
I got the very end, which I hated. I'm at the very end, and she's right beside me, and then her husband. And every every so often, I get a little, you know, happen to catch eye contact with the husband, and it's just like, ugh. And sure enough, I go to the bathroom, and then her husband is right at the bathroom door as I'm coming in. He goes, hey, can I talk to you? I take a deep breath. I'm like, oh, sure, what's going on? My wife really likes you. Oh, okay. Oh, that's nice. Like, oh, great. She likes me. That's nice. So uh, we're from out of town. I feel like saying, yeah, I figured that one out. Right? <laughs> we have a hotel, and you know, we like to party sometimes. We've been we've been together for about thirty years, and I'm like, and I'm just like. Uh, I just look at him really deadpan. I'm like, oh, sorry, dude. I don't party. I, I, I'm, I'm clean. I'm sober. Yeah, I'm drinking like a fish at the table. But it was the only thing I could think of at the time, right? And he's like, oh, are you sure? Are you sure? We'll think about it, right? So I go back to the table. Now it's awkward as hell. And the woman's out. Now she's, you know, she's about four or five sackies in, you know, her little sacky cups, you know, little shots of sacky. She has about four or five of those in her system. And she's just smiling and, ah, you know, her crooked teeth. And, oh, just like, you know, I said, I, I just said, you know, I just got the F out of there, right? So I've had a lot of these really awkward situations. I don't know what it is. It's always like this really awkward encounter. I've had about, you know, again, I traveled across Canada from Victoria, BC, all the way to Halifax, every little bar, nightclub, you know, it was a nightclub entertainment. I've had a lot of people that are into swinging and wives and husbands come up to me. It's always the same thing. Oh, my husband, my wife likes you and he doesn't want to join in. He just wants to watch. So it's just sort of like... It's happened before, and I've always turned it down. It's just, it's not my thing. You know, like, maybe if they were super attractive, there'd be a possibility, but in my case, they never were, right? And, and, um, there was another situation like that, almost identical. There's a pub, it's called Lennox Pub on Granville Street, same thing. I was drinking beer, sitting at the, right, awkward-looking woman smiling at me the whole time, you know, goofy-looking cross-eyed dude comes up to me with a pot belly. my wife likes you, I'm like, oh, isn't that nice, okay, we're in town, we have a hotel room, do you want to come and party with us? So, which takes me to the weirdest person I possibly ever dated. So again, around this time, right? I'm, you know, I'm back in Vancouver. It's like I'm a little bored, you know. I've been used to like traveling quite a bit. And on this online dating has just been like, you know, my batting average has been terrible. You know, I got together with a few cougars. There was this one lady with a blue stingray and she was hilarious man like she would she would pick me up and her corvette stingray take me right back to her place 
She would make me do yard work, cut her grass, manly chores around the house, and then she'd make me dinner, and then I'd get rewarded later on. That that scenario happened a few times, but, you know, I definitely had to had to work for it, right? And the whole time, she would just bitch about her ex-husband. What a, what a loser he was. And I'm thinking, like, oh, my God, right? So there was that adventure. So I, once in a while, I would... You know, I, I I picked up a few bad habits by this stage of my life. So because I was going to nightclubs a lot, I was around a lot of alcohol. And I wasn't a really a big drinker, but I was starting at around this time, starting to binge drink. And I wouldn't drink a lot, but then when I would, it would be like shots and, you know, crazy cocktails, mixing liquor, you know, wine, tequila, beer. You know, and then, you know, you, you get pretty wasted doing that, right? So I was, I was going out quite a bit. Plus, I was, a lot of the times I was up at late at night. So I was used to being up late at night. When I was going to school, I, you know, because I, I didn't go to school during the day, I would sleep in. And if I didn't really have any pressing assignments or whatever, you know, I'd sleep in, right? So I had the opportunity to always sleep off bad hangovers. E was a big thing around this time. And I met a woman who was possibly one of the kookiest, fascinating women I've ever met in my life. Kind of scary. She was a, an alpha she-wolf. She, she had a really nice place downtown Vancouver. Like, really nice it was probably a three, four bedroom condo. Like it was big. It was a big place. It had um, a big loft in there. And she was a strange woman. She was a European. I didn't really know what where she was from. She was kind of had a vague about her background. She spoke a few languages, German, Italian, you know, a few others. She brought me to a lot of parties, a lot of crazy parties with really rich people, really nice parties. One of the most fascinating parties I've ever been to in my life was this house in West Vancouver. It was a beautiful house. Like probably in this market, it would it would easily be a 10, 12, maybe 14 million dollar house. It was huge. Like nine bedrooms, had a dance floor. It was on the water in West Vancouver, had a dock, like just gorgeous house. And I remember those people were actually Bulgarian, but they were actually really cool. Like most of the parties she took me to, they were kind of weird, snobby. And a lot of the times I felt so out of my element, just completely out of my element. Well, this woman was a chemist and she had a very advanced degree in chemistry and she would make her own ecstasy or combine it with other drugs and she made absence which is a um, very powerful alcohol it's like 70 percent alcohol but it's fermented in this herb called wormwood that has a very psychedelic type of effect and it's a dark green color and usually 
pour it over a sugar cube. So usually the night with her started off drinking this stuff and you get completely blasted off to another planet. And then she'd hand you all these weird pills and you know, you'd be, you'd be in another world, you know, anyways, she took us to this part, took me to this party. It was in West Vancouver, gorgeous house, right? These people were actually cool, but you knew, you know, no one F around with them. They definitely had like, you know, people you don't F with. And I've been around people like that, but they were cool. Of all the weird parties she took me, they were the only ones that were kind of like, hey, come over here, man, have some beer, do, do, do. You know, and they were cool. Like they, they were very hospitable to you, right? The other parties was just people that looked completely like weirdos and... And would just kind of stare at you like, who are you? Like, you know, you get the idea. So anyways, she would make these concoctions. And usually when I would leave her place, she would hand me a bag. You know, here, take this home, give this to your friends or whatever, right? And... And, uh, and and this, uh, I remember one time, I have no idea what it was. I'm just going to assume it had ecstasy. It definitely had some kind of stimulant in there. It was a bright purple powder. And she gave me a bag of it but the size of um, like, a set, like a large sandwich bag. And it was filled with this powder. And all you needed to take was a cap of it. So I was giving away to all my friends and this and that. And everyone loved this. And my phone would ring off the hook. And I remember being so messed up on it that at the time, of course, where I was going to school, I was going to school in Burnaby. And I lived near Metrotown at this stage. And I was so messed up that I would get off on the stop either before Metrotown or the one after, and I was just going back and forth. I probably I probably took the SkyTrain past my stop at least four or five times. I was that out of it. And um, but this woman was strange. Like she was a strange woman. Like she was attractive, but very intense. She wore heavy black eyeshadow. I remember all the time. Very witchy. Like she was into weird stuff and weird superstitions you know like she you know just she she had a thick accent i asked her once how old she was and she gave me a death glare like you know like if like that made your blood ran cold and then just out of nowhere she just left right she just poof gone right packed up and left i don't know maybe because she was dealing heavy drugs and you know heat was on her and stuff like that but she was a strange strange woman but fascinating and into a lot of weird stuff you go to her house you, you almost felt like you were in some kind of like spider web and she was like the black widow spider <laughs> you know if, if a spider was a person it was she you know and and uh you know again like i remember one time i i went over there and i was agitated about something i was really irritated i was just you know acting aggressive and talking about something she just looks at me because i don't like the way you're acting and I'm like okay but the way she said it and as her whisper it kind of put a chill in my spine she's had this effect of just she could just get in your head and then she goes i don't like the way you're acting and then she gave me a pill she goes, i want you to take this and then stupidly without even thinking i take this pill 
and I'm on the carpet, like, like just, I'm so out of it. I'm just like instantly just like rubbing the carpet and rubbing her. I think I gave her a foot massage for about two hours straight. Like that's all I could do. I'm just blob on the carpet, rubbing her feet and she seemed to really enjoy that. So through her, she was really into like raves and underground parties. Of course she was because she, you know, she made the drugs for these places. And, you know, like, so I went with her to all these underground places. There was one place called The World, which was kind of funny. It was kind of a funny place because it was a it was an English language school during the day. And then at nighttime, it was an after hours par party place. They didn't serve alcohol, but everyone did heavy drugs there, especially ecstasy and drugs like that, right? So she loved going to that place. That place was open late, like four or five in the morning. So we'd go to places like that with her. Like she was really into all these really intense, like in some of the scenes, man, like it just, I, I, again, you know, it was a time in my life, you know, especially with the ecstasy and that I was taking a lot of back then that there was many situations where I just felt way too high to be in public and so far out of my element, you know, way out of my element. And, and you know, you're, you're seeing, a, again, in the 2000s, and I remember around, well, 2011, right? 9-11. People were in a weird headspace too. You got to remember because uh, you know we right now we're in the pandemic, but back then it was like war on terror and terror and anthrax and George W. Bush and all the different wars and Bin Laden. It freaked people out, and and a lot of people just thought, hey, you know what? I'm just gonna party, and and so it had that effect on people. So people were really like, I think maybe getting more wasted and and um indulging than they probably would have it it, it it i definitely felt that and it was a strange time uh, in vancouver again the the drugs the club drugs were really big like there was a lot of like ecstasy around the city or there's always lots of cocaine especially then there was but there was no fentanyl there was no poisonous drugs so people felt pretty safe about indulging you know people you know now it's a whole different circumstance right but back then pe there was a comfort level that people you know the worst thing that could happen is that you got sold either fake drugs or very weak drugs and with this woman her drugs were just like you know next level right so she was very popular if you can imagine right the amount of uh, parting that I was doing, the late, late nights, the not taking care, it started to have like a mental toll on me. I was starting to get the effects of depression, anxiety. Um, you know, I would get into these dark moods and, you know, I really didn't like it. So I. I, it was one of the first times where I started getting concerned, like, is drugs, is alcohol becoming a problem in my life? Is it getting out of control, right? So when I would feel that way, I would stop. And I stopped seeing her. She I ended up leaving town anyways because, again, with her, it was all this 
weird drugs and weirdness and weird music and weird parties and weird people like weird and drugs right and i think what it does too it has like a, an effect on your psyche when you're in an environment that you're not comfortable with but you're you're only in these environments because you're high as a kite and when you sober up from it, it has a very unsettling effect on yourself right and, and it started to do this with me and I, again you know i was pretty much a health conscious person most of my life and you know some of these drugs and you're when you're when you're like up all night doing these chemical party drugs you know the detox is pretty pretty vicious and i had a situation once and this was like a really bad scare it was like the first time i ever did drugs where it got scary i was up for 24 plus hours maybe maybe even like two days uh, doing lots of ecstasy and i went to my bathroom and i looked in the mirror and i could not see my face like my face was just like blank skin and it freaked me out really bad so i started doing detoxing i started going to the sauna i started working out i started cleaning myself up and stuff and and i was still doing my computer studies but around this time was the first dot-com bust so a lot of the people that i knew that was a little bit ahead of the curve that already got their training already take you know took all their computer program they got these really great jobs they all were unemployed because it's, it was a first dot-com burst anything with a dot-com like back in those days you just had to create a website and it was a big deal oh i'm gonna uh, create a website for pets or a website for cars or whatever right it was a, it was like the gold rush right so it was the first dot-com burst so i was pissed right so i did all this training and the only jobs that i would get offered were adult entertainment companies you know help them with their websites help them with the graphics and things like that and i got I did a couple and I was just like, I can't do this. So a guy offered me a job because I'm going to pay you. Remember, you know, I'm living on my own. You know, I need money. I've been in school. I traveled for almost two and a half years, right? This guy goes, I'm going to pay you two grand to do a website for me. And I'm thinking, wow, yeah, two grand. I can use two grand. And, and he says, well, what's the website? Oh, it's an adult website. I'm like, eh, no big deal, you know. And he goes, okay, I'm going to send you a file of photos. And then what I want you to do is put them and make galleries out of them. Because back that time, there wasn't a lot of streaming yet. This is before even YouTube or anything like that. So this is before about 2005. So this is still early 2000s. People would go on adult websites and mostly they would look at actual photographs. You know, there was some streaming, but it was really slow and they weren't long. So anyways, sends me a picture. He sends me the file. It's on a server, so I have to download it from a server, right? Because that's how you do it. Big files went on servers, and you'd go on the server, and you'd, you know, download it that way. It is 30,000 photos of male genitalia. And the website is called... C-O-C-K-B-A-L-L-S. Cock and balls. And I'm like, oh, you didn't tell me this one. 
So 30,000 pictures of every variety, every size, every shape, every circumcise, and for a week I had to categorize them all. And to the got to the point where it didn't even phase me anymore. People would come over and look at my computer like, what the hell are you doing? And I'd just be like, yeah, making this website. You know, after a while, it's like looking at shoes, right? But I knew in my mind that, hey, I, I can't be doing this like for the next four or five or 10 years, right? Because, you know, again, not what I signed up for. I'm using to do it once or twice, but anyway, so another adult uh, company calls me up and says, oh, we need, we need some graphic designers. And I said, sure, can you come to our office? I'm like, okay. So I go to their office, it was downtown Vancouver, it was on Beatty Street. And so anything in the office, this bad vibe, just bad vibe, right? Everyone just looks intense and scowly, no one's really friendly. And there's a woman who uh, interviewing me, right? And remember, this is for graphic design. And and she says, okay, well, I'll give you some photos and then, you know, let me see what you can do with them and I'll let you know, right? And she's like, uh, again, this woman is like black hair, short hair, big, you know, tall, probably at least 5'10", 250 pounds. And, you know, but she was pleasant. She was professional. And I I make some photos like I do some graphic designs of, of, of their of their website and the website was called mistress pain or something with some female dominatrix not the woman I met but she kind of had that dominatrix type of vibe to her right and you know I go on the website I'm like holy Christ, like wow, like just you know, dudes being tied up and beaten, and you know, sticks beaten with sticks and canes and whipped, and you know, pretty intense stuff. Like, you know, I'm sure there's people into that kind of stuff. I'm not into pain, I'm not into giving pain, I'm not into receiving pain. I know a lot of people like that kind of thing, not my not, not for me, right? So, I'm just like, whoa, like again, just so so far out of my element, right. But anyway, so I make some graphics, go there, I, I um, hand them over. She you know, seems kind of like, you know, she didn't seem thrilled by them, but she didn't seem not to like them. Just very kind of, uh-huh, right, okay, well, I'll let you know what, you know, okay. So, two or three days later, I get this call from this guy, and he's the graphic designer there, and he's just, a, a conversation is kind of like, I don't know what the point of the conversation is. I'm like, listen, either you want to hire me or you don't. Like, this is just going on too far, all this back and forth and going to the office twice now. Do you want to use me? Do you don't? I don't care. If you don't, just let me know that I can be on my way. Having this weird conversation with their in-house graphic designer, and he's like quizzing me on all the different specs and this or that. It's almost like just, I don't know, maybe in his mind, his way of vetting me if I'm a real graphic designer. I don't know kind of irritated by the guy just kind of thought he was a bit of a loser to be honest with you so i was kind of irritated i'm just like you know what f this company i don't want nothing to do with them they're just wasting my time so the woman called that the one that i met with 
right? Kind of looked a little dominatrixy. She's wearing like I remember she was wearing like those really thick black heels with the really thick, you know, like the thick soles and um yeah, you know, her whole gear just kind of had screamed like Miss Dominatrix herself. But I didn't see her in any of the videos, right? Or the pictures. So she goes, Hey, we're really short on some talent. Would you be into us uh, you know, taking some photos of you? And I'm like, taking photos of me? And I'm thinking, oh, what the hell? And, and she goes, yeah, you know, we, we need someone. We're just short on talent. And, and then she says this little, lovely little thing. She says, oh, don't worry. The welts and the bruises, they, they'll fade away in a couple of weeks. I'm like, welts and bruises? I go, I go, what are you talking about? Oh, we need someone. We need a male model for to be in to be in the, our next shoot and Mistress Payne or you know, pretty sure that was her name. Oh, and and, and she, she she thought that you would be great. And I'm like, I don't remember seeing her anywhere. Like, whatever. You know, okay, so I'm gonna be tied up for how many hours? I don't know. So let's just let's just speculate. Two or three, right? tied up for a you know for at least for the afternoon naked beaten you know whipped and i'm thinking like how much is this must at least have to pay at least like you know i'm thinking like you know if they said 10 grand i might like oh like you know 10 grand would really kind of help me out right now the way my predicament is right it paid $75 and I'm just like get the fuck out of here so as soon as I heard $75 I was just like yeah nope uh, and then and then she became a bitch she was like well then forget about doing any graphic design work for him I go you know what you never wanted me to do graphic design anywhere this is your ploy get me in there you know you guys are probably sizing me up through a two-way mirror because I remember seeing a two-way mirror and this is your ploy. You, you can't get people to go in there for 75 bucks to get their crap beaten out of them. No, no one will do that unless they're into that kind of thing. And, and those people are probably far and a few in between. Am I correct? And she's just like, nah, 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 nah. I'm like, you guys, I go, you guys are effing scumbags. You guys are scumbags, right? You know, be honest with people. If you put ads in the paper, I'm sure people would put their hands up for it. But I guess they wanted guys that were physically in good shape and, you know, decent looking and da, 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 right? So this was like their ploy. They put in ads pretending that for jobs and really they just wanted, you know, some poor victim to have the crap beat out of them for, for a disgusting website, right? You know, that's not being honest, you know, this kind of stuff. See, the thing is, it's like, I get that people have different genres and tastes, but the whole key thing is it has to be honest. Everyone involved have to be on the same page. If a guy wants to take a picture of a woman and really it's some kind of sadistic kind of uh, rope torture and doesn't tell her to last minute, it's it's disgusting and dishonest. Just like if it was like me being lured into a trap for graphic design, but the whole intent purpose was, hey, he would look good getting the crap beat out of him on camera. So anyways, so I was pretty done with that and I was kind of a little bit fed up because, you know, again, dot-com crash took all this training and only these sleazy companies were the only ones around that were kind of offering work.
So I was pretty frustrated. And my friend of mine, who actually went to school with for graphic design and computer programming, he goes, oh, are you good at sales? You, you know, you seem like to be a good talker and stuff. I'm like, well, I did a lot of like kind of like sales, you know, working in nightclubs and all the promo stuff I did is kind of like sales, right? Oh yeah, I think you'll be good. You should work for my dad. And I go, well, what does your dad do? Oh, my dad's a stockbroker. He's always hiring, always looking for sales guys. It pays pretty good too. And I just heard, oh, pays pretty good. Sure, I'm interested. And he goes, it's really early. I'm like, oh, really? Like, how early? He's like, oh, you got to be at the office, like, like you know, 6, 7 in the morning. Because, you know, stock market hours, they, you know, they go on Eastern time. And I'm thinking, oh, that kind of sucks, but whatever. Because I'm used to being, you know, being up all night, going to raves and hanging out with crazy chemists that cook their own, you know, ecstasy. And thinking, like, this, I don't know about this early morning stuff, man. But, hey, you know what? this this web stuff right now in the graphic design is not working out i'm just getting sick of these you know sleazeball companies that are just never straight up with you you know so i said you know what maybe it'll be good maybe it'll be something to take me out of my comfort zone so i said well sure set it up he goes okay i'll call my dad and he will uh send you an email and go from there so sure enough like by the time i even got home from talking to him there was an email and it's just very to the point be there at it was at seven o'clock he wanted me there at seven o'clock he goes i want he goes you have to wear a tie i want you and you know it has to have you have to be wearing polished shoes he was very specific i want nicely polished shoes uh, dress pants shirt and tie be there at seven so i'm thinking okay sure right go to the store i bought a new tie i bought a dress shirt had the dress shoes had the pants get there at 7 a.m get to the office the office was on granville street on uh, granville and um seymour yeah seymour no, 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 sorry, Pender. It was on Granville and Pender Street, right on the corner. The building was an older building called the Rogers Building. It's kind of like a, a heritage building, but it's kind of nicely kept in shape. So I get there to the office. I just hear people just screaming. I get there and I just hear people screaming on the phone. It's loud. Everyone's shouting at once. I'm like, oh, this is insane. And again, I feel completely completely out of my element everyone's you know power dialing screaming and i've never met his dad before and and, and i get i go i open the door and there's a guy older man you know in a suit really intense salt and pepper hair and he puts his hand oh you must be mark grabs my hand he goes okay come over here he, he hands me a piece of paper, and remember, I, I'm not used to being up this early, and I, my brain is completely foggy. He's like, he barks at me, he goes, read me the script. And I read the script, you know, super lackluster, no enthusiasm, and he just looks at me so disgusted, and he goes, goes in his wallet, 
pulls out a $20 bill. And he goes, I want you to go to Starbucks and I want you to drink coffee until your stomach hurts and then comes back. He goes, I don't care. Drink three cups of coffee if you have to. Drink four. So I go, I have two, right? And I come back. He goes, gives me the strip script again. He goes, now read it again. This time I want a little bit more personality into it, you know? And so I just read it as loud and animated as I can. He goes, okay, okay, that's, that's a little bit better. So he sits me down. He hands me a stack of papers. The papers have phone numbers. And he goes, I'm going to show you how to do it, right? He, ha he, he, uh, he gets a ruler. He puts it on the pieces of paper. And then on, there's name and phone numbers, right? Hundreds of numbers, right? Stacks of these papers, right? And he goes, I want you to be able to dial 300 uh, numbers by the end of the day or don't come back. He goes, I'm going to pay you 25 cents a dial. And each call, I want you to underline it and, and, and pencil. So he underline it, and then you write on a code, voicemail, if it's a voicemail. Don't bother leaving voice messages. Just go to the next call. And when you hold the phone, you hold it between your ear and your shoulder, like kind of right, you know, have the phone there. And you keep your finger on the, on the you know, if you, these are old phones for you kids. You've probably never seen one of these. These are roitery phones. But this, actually, no, this phone actually had a keypad, but it was old. And then you had like the, the phone where it hangs up. So what you would do is that you would hold the phone between your your ear and your shoulder and then you'd have your finger on on the receiver right and you dial you let your finger up and if someone answered then you'd grab the phone and then you do your pitch when you 300 calls a day 25 cents for every call you make and if someone owns the stock you underline it in a highlighter and the people that already own the stock, then the dad or my friend's dad or my boss, he would call those ones. And if those ones sold, if he was able to take those ones as leads, these are the people that actually own the stock, he would try to get them to buy more. And then you got a percentage of that. So this is what this job, this job, this is what we call, uh, this is like the most basic of the basic in a stock boiler room. And you're basically an opener. You're looking for people who um, uh, own the stock or also too, if they are interested and they say, listen, and you weren't, I wasn't doing any hard selling at this point. I was, you know, green, you know, he didn't expect me to sell anything. All I had to ask them is that, would you be interested in receiving the investment package perspective? And if they were, that also got highlighted, right? And then you'd write that and those wouldn't get sent out. And I believe you got $2 for those. So if you're able to power dial, you know, 300 numbers at 25 cents a number. Oh, also too, he did pay, I think it was 10 bucks an hour. So you got an hourly pay. You got 25 cents for every number you called, $2 for every package. And then you got a percent of of a commission for whatever he was able to sell through these leads that you were generating, but you just had a basically power dial all day. So I did that for the 
for about a month and a half because what would happen in these types of jobs this is later on is that their their his dad was a stock broker but he was also a stock promoter and what he would do is that we'd meet he would meet us he would get the room going and then he would walk to where the stock exchange was he would trade and then when the stock exchange closed he would come back and god if he had a bad day and he came in that office oh he was nuts he would throw bottles against the walls he would scream and yell and carry on but if he had a good day oh we're off for beers and we're off you know he's gonna buy us burgers and beer so in that first month you know just working my ass off power dialing you know and I, I wanted to be good at it because I saw people that already were there that were making a lot of money he, he got paid every week I don't think he paid me for the first two weeks because he think he held back a week or something like that I don't know the guy was very odd he had all these systems whatever but there was people that were bringing home um, two thousand to three thousand dollars a week just doing what I was doing just power dialing and and going you know just working as hard as they could and i think in that first month i made five grand and i was just like wow like you know like i've never i think it was the first time in my adult life that i made more than four thousand dollars in one month i've had like good weeks and stuff like that but it was the first time having that much money on one paycheck it was over five thousand dollars this is after taxes and things like that too so i getting a check for five grand i was hooked my boss was probably one of the most intense people i've ever met he was very volatile he loved to scream and call people shitheads if he, if if they ever disagreed with him he was very like but at the same time though you know this is very early on he was possibly the most normal and at the end of the day as kooky as he was he ran he ran a office like a really tight ship he didn't allow any scoofing around he you know he had a dress code he had to wear a tie he you know, expected you to, you know, you could, he didn't tolerate anyone arriving hungover or anything like that. He ran a tight ship. But, you know, at the same time, he was a, a solid family man. He, my friend's dad, he was very, you know, when I met him later on, you know, at his home, he was a very different persona, right? Um, but, yeah, he was pretty intense. He liked to grab the empty water bottles from the cooler, those eight-liter bottles. And if someone ever, you know, had the balls to disagree with him on anything, he would fly into a rage and he'd throw that bottle against the wall as hard as he could. And the thing would just make a, like a gong, like boom. Like it was like a bomb going off against the wall, and then he would scream at that person. He would say, "Is he would scream so intensely that his voice would crack, and he would sound like a five-year-old like girl having a tantrum." He would scream. He goes, "If you don't like it, get the fuck out of here!" <laughs> oh God, he was he was crazy, but. I'm going to get into um, this period of my life. I started working for um, a bunch of different brokers, and he was actually the most normal one. I, 
what would happen in, in this in, in, in so to make things uh, for people to understand is this is that um, a lot of the the companies that list on the Vancouver Stock Exchange which doesn't exist anymore but it's called the TSX Venture Exchange are mining and resource companies and what my friend's dad was he was a specialized in promoting these junior mining operations so these are like companies just trying to get get off on the ground floor they're trying to get equipment they have a piece of land i don't know what they're you know going for if it's oil diamonds whatever it is right they, they have a geologist that do these assay reports and 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 they're raising money so a lot of the times these are campaigns right so his dad was a full-time trader but then on he would also have these rooms these sales rooms where he'd be promoting the stocks mostly in mining and they would hit a target so let's say the room or the target was for this company to raise 10 million dollars or whatever number it is right so the campaign would be be shut down right so what would happen as i move forward with this is that you'd make a lot of money in a short time and then you'd be off work for two or three weeks and if you made a lot of money then hey it was cool right but not all companies were good not all stocks were good so so sometimes you're you're in a in a situation where it's a total dud no one no one wants it no one and, and you don't make any money right so you're, you're screwed so I was trying to get as good as possible so I could get um, in these opportunities where I can make a lot of money and so I have seen some crazy offices. Sometimes there were just like people my age throwing together a office and they're drinking on in the office or doing drugs or getting hookers at lunchtime. I've seen everything. It was insane. There was one office I worked at. It was on, oh geez, it's where Brandy's is, right across from Pacific Center. And at the bottom there was a keg Caesars. They had their office, and these are these guys I worked for. At 1.30, they would start drinking in the office. They would go down to the keg, have their dinner or whatever, late lunch, start drinking there, and then they would go to Brandy's, and then they'd go to the Swedish Touch on top, you know, in that same building. That was their daily routine every single day. But these guys were savages. Like some some of these days, they made like fifty grand in a day. So when they you know shut down to take time off and become, you know they were fine. Like they were they were doing really good, right? You know I, again they probably didn't have a liver left, but this is what the lifestyle was like for a lot of these offices. So my my first office, my friends, there was none of that. There was no drugs in the office or drinking or anything like that. But some of these offices I'd work in, they were completely insane. Like absolutely insane and again like I was saying I was developing bad habits right I went on a trip across Canada nightclubs almost every night drinking you know m met a kooky girl that made her own ecstasy so I was I was abusing that um, and then I'm in an office environment in a stock market industry I didn't do any of the drugs I was done with the drugs 
but again you know you, you fridays man fridays you'd start three two three o'clock you're starting to drink and then and then by 12 o'clock at night you've been drinking since three in the afternoon so it started to take a toll this kind of push back and forth right trying to be healthy trying to be clean working in these jobs were very alcoholic fueled and and you know crazy wild people making all this money and it was always like blow off steam work hard blow off steam and had a real push pull effect on my psyche um in the next podcast i'm going to break down more of these crazy office environments and get more into that it, it's it's um an important thing because and the theme of these podcasts of Vancouver the Beautiful and Ugly is the thread of these of uh, this the theme the thread that goes through this whole theme is all the different contrasts right and, and one of the, the 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 ugly aspects of Vancouver Vancouver's always been a bit of a shady place when it comes to scams and frauds and things of that sort the reason why the vancouver stock exchange no longer exists and became the tsx venture exchange is because it was rife with scams and junk bonds and pumps and dumps and and just just you know rife with and and i and i had a real insider look into that world you know things went on that are just just beyond like comprehension and this is one of the things that I've, I've seen in Vancouver is that it's, it's always been a place that's been very expensive to live and operate in. But it's always been a fun place if you have lots of money. Of course, most places are. But Vancouver's a, you know, if you have lots of money, oh, it's, an, it's a different city than when you don't. It's not a fun city to be broken. So what, what that does it, it makes a lot of people chase fast money and fast money comes at a price you know look at all the grow ops and what the grow ops did and then that translated into like clandestine drug laboratories right look at what's going on in Hastings Street the massive drug sales people are making a lot of money off the misery of those people we'll get into that another time but this is another thing too the financial scams you know the that was at such a high level you know the Vancouver Stock Exchange you know ripping people off like just legally and blatantly and apparently pump and dumps are still around so yeah so that was another inside look I got where you know you get these people that are just all about greed all about ripping people off just so they can do coke get hookers you know blow it on dumb stuff cars they can't afford they can barely gas these cars up you know driving a hundred thousand dollar car i'll give you one example i worked with a guy he was actually really good at sales he was a brilliant at sales but he was a train wreck a small paycheck for him and i worked with him quite a bit was a take-home paycheck of $2,500. That was a small check for him. But Friday would come, we'd go to the pub right away, like at lunchtime usually, drink till like six o'clock in the evening, go home, shower, 
meet up, go to a nightclub, he'd hit his dealer, he'd buy a whole bunch of, you know, ecstasy or cocaine or whatever he wanted for that evening. He would party all through Sunday and then go to work on Monday asking me, hey, uh, can you lend me a dollar for dollar pizza? And he would, he had an M5 BMW that was worth over a hundred grand. And he would be able to put like maybe two bucks just during the week while he was you know, waiting for his next check. I'd see him gas up his M5 BMW putting $2 at a time in it because he'd blow all his money every weekend and he'd do this. It didn't matter if he had a $5,000 paycheck or a $2,000 one. You know, if he had more money than he hit, he'd go to the casino. For that, that's, you know, he'd go blow a bunch of money at the casino. It, it was insane. So... And at the end of the day, he's selling stuff that's just basically just ripping people off at this end of the day, right? So again, it, it, it at this stage of my life, you know, I, I was in this torn kind of place. Uh, my health was declining from the amount of alcohol I was drinking, the, the ecstasy that I got a taste for, and I was getting like massive amounts from my friend a strange chemist before she leave like she would like literally give me bags of it like she she had like almost unlimited supplies of it so i had you know unlimited amount of drugs when i wanted them uh binge drinking and i'm doing stuff that's you know it's it's i know it's probably not on the up and up right so this is starting to cause depression and anxiety and you know, self-esteem issues, right? So I'm going to get more into that in the next podcast. I am going to shut it down. It's almost 2 a.m. I appreciate you guys so much. And I'm I'm going to talk very quickly about kind of what's in the pipeline. I've been working on a lot of stuff behind the scenes, of course, as you know. So I got a few things that are really exciting. So again, I'm going to keep exploring uh, David's dark world of working for the mafia, the Colombians, all that kind of stuff, right? People seem to be enjoying that series. I'm going to be doing a very in-depth series on Hastings Street. I have people that are like witnesses, people who live down there, other dealers that ran drug lines. Uh, people that were advocacy work down there. So it's going to be a multi-in-depth uh, series of Hastings Street and people who lived and breathed that street, that living in the downtown east side. I think it's an important series to do, and then um, I'm going to build on to that as well. Uh, another exciting thing is this, is that if, as you know, if you've been following my podcast for a while, is that one of the cases that I'm very passionate about is the Lindsay Buziak case. And I had a strange circum- situation happen. Not going to get into it right now, but this situation turned into a blessing in disguise. So I took them all down, and I'm going to start with a clean slate, uh, a new, fresh approach. The first person I want to have a very in depth interview with who agreed to do the podcast is Lindsay Buziak's dad is Jeff Buziak so we're going to do a podcast interview together and he's going to tell you 
all the important information you should know about that case. So you're getting it from the best source possible. Another very disturbing uh, thing has happened. One of the other cases that I put a lot of effort into trying to find answers is the Tamara Thompson case. Well, apparently her cousin who made a whole bunch of noise and pretty unhinged and claimed that he got contacted by the Victoria police and she's alive and she's fine. Well, a month went by and no one else has had any contact with her. You would think of all this attention that I helped create and all the people who've come forward. I talked to 20 people, 10 of them on the phone, who care about her, who want contact with her, who've had contact with her previously. No one has heard a thing besides his cousin. So I called the Victoria Police Department and they were actually very polite and very nice to me, very helpful. And they said that they has had nothing in their records as far as reaching out to Tamara or finding her as far as they are concerned. And they have no records of being in contact with this cousin. And they asked me to ask him who was the detective that made contact with Tamara, what's the case file number, and who's the detective that the cousin spoke with. I sent messages to him, the cousin, haven't heard back, and I don't think I will be hearing back. So we're back to where we started. So I am thinking deeply, what is the next best approach? And so that is something I will be announcing shortly once I feel I can think of the best approach to take from here because we're really back at square one. I was happy that she was found and I took him at his word saying that he was family and he on my Facebook account, I had two accounts. I have the Vancouver True Crime uh, Facebook page and then I have What Happened to Tamara Facebook page. He went on every single post, like over 20 posts and made this big announcement that they're found so he posted this multiple times and i think okay well i'm gonna take him at his word that was a month ago no one's heard anything i spoke to people back in victoria none of them believe it none of them believe what he has to say they're highly skeptical so i said you know what the best thing to do i'll call the victoria police department and and from the conversation i had no one knows nothing including the police so we're back to square one so it's very heartbreaking i was i was hoping that maybe she wasn't doing well mentally and maybe you know you know she needed some mental uh help you know with her uh, mental health issues which i was talked to many people they all confirmed that she needs to be on medication so i thought maybe it was something like that right so still no tamara very heartbroken about that so again i have a bunch of interviews lined up i'm trying to create more dynamic podcasts for you the listeners to enjoy um i have a lot of passion for this stuff i every minute of my waking day is, is about trying to come up with the best 
you know, entertaining and thought provoking and stuff that I believe in, right? Helping people, uh, advocating for people that are, don't have a loud voice like me. And, you know, I, this is what I want to continue doing and I couldn't do it without you guys. So I appreciate your support. So good morning, good night, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you are. Take care.